Welcome to the Focus Schools podcast, Leading for Impact. And this episode is from our category, Every Student, Every Day. And my name is Brett Bishop, and I have had the privilege of working with Focus Schools for quite some time now, longer than I care to um, uh, acknowledge in my age. It's been a, a great privilege to work with Focus Schools and serve lots of schools and districts around the country, working hard to improve the lives of children. And today, I'm joined by my friend, Kathy Crum. How are you today, Kathy? I'm great, Brett, and I'm really excited for the learning today. Yeah, me as well. And one of the reasons Kathy and I are both so excited is we are joined today by another colleague of ours who is an expert in the world of social work and a professor at Springfield College, Dr. Anthony Hill. How are you today, Tony? Wonderful, wonderful. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, we're really excited that you're here. This is uh, the first in a a three-part podcast series that we're putting together to take advantage of the expertise of Dr. Hill because we wanted to try and help support schools because as we listen to the leaders of the districts uh, and schools that we work with talking about the challenges that have been really ramped up by the pandemic that maybe always existed in some way, but have become pronounced because of the pandemic. And we want to sort of surface and name those pressures of leading the work in schools and districts about the time of the pandemic and how the the idea of how we do school and how students' social emotional learning is going and, and their behaviors and even, you know, the staff. And just Think about how leaders can do some good work to try and minimize the negative impact and sort of bring us back to a place where school is thriving. So the three-part series today will kick off with part one, which we are entitled Seemingly Small Moments Are Not Small. I wonder, Tony, if you want to just talk, start by talking to us a little bit about why you think that's important to recognize those seemingly small moments and where this, this thought came from. This thought came from, very recently, I heard from John Kabat-Zinn. And there was a quote, and it said, the little things, the little moments, they aren't little. So that caused me to really think deeply about the work in schools. And as you mentioned, when you think about the pandemic and where we are going into year three, so much pressure, so much tension, so much anxiety. How do we keep the main thing the main thing? There's so much that's out of our control but really focusing in on what's in our control. We can't control the big things, but we can control the little things. So I'm really, really happy to to, to think about what are those little things? How could administrators and educators do this very valuable, impactful work and really ensure that students are learning during these very troubling, chaotic, and complex times that we're living in? Tony, you know, you talked about the small things are not small things. Can you give some examples of what you mean by small moments that provide opportunities to support students who are struggling with all these challenges? Well, I I believe that students will rise to the level of expectations and students don't care how much you know, but they know how much you care. So, so, So that's very valuable. It's very valuable to know that you have to have these caring, committed relationships. So I know there's pressure with testing, there's testing uh, pressure with getting content and students, you know, this this gap in learning that has transpired. But uh, I think we can't relinquish our role in making sure that we have caring, committed relationships, because I think that's very important where we want to get to. I think also we have to also, as administrators and leaders, have to also think about the work-life balance, the educators. So the education system is really in turmoil now when you think about remote instruction, hybrid learning, and what has transpired 
And um, I, I think it's very important, you know, when you go on the plane, they say, put your own oxygen mask on first. So in order for the educators to be effective, they can't see their own self-care as self-indulgence. They really have to see it as how do I renew? How do I replenish? How do I restore myself in order to do this very valuable work? of educating the next generation of students. As you're talking, I'm thinking about the caring, committed relationships. I'm thinking myself as a teacher and a principal, oftentimes my mind was more on um, the curriculum and the teaching and learning and those kind of things. And while I did have good relationships with my students, it wasn't, you know, I think that was sort of secondary and just assumed. But when you think about it that way and think of um, that any little thing I do to develop a relationship with the student is very important. And then likewise, any little things that I'm doing to create the work-life balance, just to bring those things, the people part of the job, I suppose, up to um, as, as high or even higher of a place than as the teaching and learning. Um, that's, that's what I'm hearing from you. Yeah. A great example I had was there was a teacher, and this was pre-pandemic, but it really touched me when I was a principal, that before the students would walk into the classroom, she would look them right in the eye and shake their hands. And it was a genuine, heartfelt, authentic, how are you? And that may seem like a very small moment, uh, but for every student, she knew the pulse of what the day was going to be like. And the students knew that she genuinely cared for them. So, so that was very important. I'll give you another example as well. I was coming as a guest speaker to one of the classrooms, and it was very impactful that the teacher, of, in this case, a professor, was able to introduce me to the students, and he just gave a five to 10 second overview of each student. What were their interests? You know, what were their major? You know, but, but really taking that seemingly small and uh, it had left an impression on me. And it was just something that he just did. But even the feedback afterwards from his students of saying, that has never been done before. I really appreciate you taking the time to get to know me, not as a number, but as an individual. And I find it interesting when you're talking, Tony, because I think I'm uh, a lifetime of living in schools, both starting as a student and having parents who are teachers, and then being a teacher, studying teaching in college, being a teacher, being an assistant principal, being a principal, I tend to see the world just through the eyes of what public school, you know, and what schools are like. And a lot of times my reference point for the successful parts of our culture or the human race in general, I think of high performing teacher classrooms. One of the things that strikes me when you're talking is that there is so much that goes on in the highest performing teachers classrooms like the example that you gave of the teacher who, you know, literally took the hand of kids and then and then asked them how they were in a very sincere way. And it brought to mind to me one of the experiences I had as a principal where every, this one particular teacher that I'm thinking of was a teacher in a substantially separate special education classroom for students who had um, really significant language learning disabilities. She would, every time I was coming to her classroom. She's a very you know, positive, upbeat person to begin with. But what I noticed was it was almost a ritual when I would come to her classroom, she would always say to me some version of, oh my gosh, you've got to see the work that these kids are doing. And she would talk about the kids in a way that it was, first of all, as you said, very authentic. But what she was saying is like, how amazing the work that the progress they were making. And she wasn't speaking to where they were in terms of grade level proficiency. And what struck me was 
the communication to them of how known they were, how seen they were, was it, it, you could see it light them up as she was bragging to me about their work and what the work that they had done. So I wondered when you were talking, you know, and you and both Kathy both gave examples. Um, if, if you were speaking to, say, superintendents or principals or, you know, department heads or leaders of some kind, do you, do you have any suggestions of how they might get started in trying to make these seemingly small moments not so small and making make, taking advantage of the idea of small moments to improve the social emotional tenor of the classrooms or departments or schools they serve? I think it's very important to recognize the power that one has as an educator good or bad, a lot of impact, a lot of good, or a lot of damage is done as an educator. So, so really taking on this role of being a vessel of hope, really taking time to carve out and to share with students their talents, their gifts, and I believe everyone has talents and gifts, but being able to reflect and being able to share with students and I don't know about you, but you sort of lose your name because once you tell the young people their talents and gifts, they say, who, me? It's a big surprise. Who, me, miss? Who, me, mister? You talking about me? And, and just letting them know that, that you have the, the, your ability to persevere. Your ability, wow, you're gifted in this. Man, you, you, you could teach others this. And it, it comes to a, a, a surprise to them. You could go to college. You have what it takes. Are you talking about me, miss? Are you talking about me? I can do this? You must got the wrong person. So what I found is really nurturing the gifts and the talents. And it's not superficial. You're not making it up. And what I found that based on those relationships, students will rise to the level of expectations. The expectations are high. Students will rise if the expectations are low. Students will succumb to those low expectations, mm. but students will rise to the level of expectations. I like to say something that, that I often say is you get what you expect, you get what you respect, and you also get what you inspect. So you get what you respect and you're, you know, I'm still working through my middle school years of working as a middle school administrator. So I believe if you can do middle school, you can do anything. But I can, I can still hear the reframe. Hey, mister. Hey, miss. They don't respect me. Then I'm not going to respect them. So you get what you respect. Also, I already talked about expectations. Through relationships, students will rise to the level of expectations. There are some situations just by your caring, compassionate relationship. Uh, I believe in you put in the deposits before you put in withdrawals. Students know you. They will, you just give them the look and they'll say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You don't have to say a word, you can just look. And that's built on that relationship. So again, students will rise uh, to the level of expectations. You get what you respect, you know, respecting students in, the, in their identities, various identities. Uh, you get what you expect. Again, students will rise to the level of expectation. And then lastly, you get what you inspect. So uh, uh, now we're living a data-driven world. And uh, we need to ask ourselves, why do we do what we do? Is it working? If it is working, how can we expand it? How can we can make things better? How can we can build it to scale and help more people? So, so I really like this frame. And I think it's very powerful 
for educators, administrators to really think of what are the expectations we hold for everyone. Some students are going to do well no matter who's in front of them. And uh, but but what about the students who need more? Are we willing to give them more? So you get what you expect. Also realizing that just because, for instance, someone is in poverty doesn't mean that their brain isn't working. So what are our expectations for people that have challenges? And I truly believe that the education, being able to write well, being able to compute well, to do math, all of that is going to help transform their lives. So the power of education. And then this issue of you get what you inspect. Again, really being reflective, not just blaming the kids, you know, uh, uh, this is, I teach it and they're supposed to learn it. And if they don't get it, it's on them. But, but, but really being mindful of the different multiple learning styles and needs of students and being able to calibrate that it's not a one size fits all. I'm thinking as you're talking, you know, um, so thinking as a person in a school right now, okay, I have all these other things to do. What should I start doing and what should I stop doing? And as you're, um, as you're talking, I'm thinking that um, if I were in a classroom right now, or if I were a school leader right now um, in, in a school, uh, start getting to know your people better, not, not students, not as test scores necessarily, or as what, what the data, that kind of data says about them, but what, you know, what are their skills and what are their talents and what are the things that they're just good at as human beings? Um, so start, start knowing them more as people. And of course we have to know their data, but stop basing, I guess, um, strengths on, on what the data might say. So, um, that's what that has me thinking. And same thing with your staff, you know, um, start knowing who on your staff has a skill with this, that, or the other. And what that takes is more time really, um, during meetings and all the time, just getting to know each other as individuals, as people. And and I would say too, Kathy, thanks for sharing that. I would say also, that sometimes we look for outsiders, but really being able to cultivate and nurture the talent that's within your building. Mm-hmm. So there, there are pockets of excellence already right in front of your face. Mm-hmm. So you need to find out. Uh, I remember distinctly in one classroom, students were completely on task, doing the work and good relations with the educator. This is my middle school experience again. And then going the very next class, the very next door, complete bedlam, you know, out of their seats, folks wrestling and what have you. And I'm like, wait a minute, are these the same students I just saw? And it really speaks to the level of expectations. It speaks to structure. It speaks to routines. It speaks to students knowing what the standards are, what's acceptable, what's unacceptable. So uh, right on, what what are you going to start? I think you're right on is to acknowledge not only the students, but the talents among your staff members. And then also not just focusing on the outsiders coming in. There are some talented people right in your building, finding out through the analysis of data. That's also what you get, what you inspect, you know, really looking at the importance of data, not doing the same old thing and expecting results, which is the definition of insanity, but really inspecting the data. And what is the data? Where are we making strong gains? Who is effective in teaching these concepts from year to year to year? And then instead of having silos, how can we collaborate and work together through ILT teams 
to really be supportive and helpful. We're all in this thing together. So no more shutting the door and saying, I'm gonna do my thing, but how could we sort of really, really build uh, a solid integrated teams that will help each other? I might be strong in some areas, my colleague might be strong in other areas, but how could we sort of really have the courage to acknowledge that we're not experts in everything and then work together and just as we want from students to show growth, we're going to also show growth as educators. It's interesting from my perspective to hear you say that because uh, a, a literally a career changing moment for me as a principal, I, my first year as being a principal, um, my school was the first school in the district I was in to go into any designated need of improvement status with the state. And, you know, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to be fired. <laughs> You know, like, thanks for coming, Brett. We, we're, your school just crash and burn. And so my first year of uh, going into my superintendent's, you know, yearly evaluation, I, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. And I remember, uh, you know, I worked for a superstar superintendent. And I remember her saying things to me about, and the phrase she used that stayed with me was, I've watched you do this. And when she said, I've watched you do this. It occurred to me not only that I was seen and known by her, that she was taking her time to do this. First superintendent, she's got a lot to do, but it was also teaching me that's what I ought to be doing. I, I ought to be seeing and knowing the people who work in my organization. And I never forgot that phrase. I've watched you do this. Mm -hmm. And she, she named things that she thought were parts of my leadership. And a lot of them, I was like, oh, really? Like, I didn't even know that was part of my leadership until I heard her say it. But man, did it then become part of my leadership after I heard those words. And so I think it's really, I think sometimes we underestimate the power that we have as leaders, as you said, to make the day of a child by what we say, but also to make the, make the day of a staff member and, and, and alter their path of their own thinking of their own career by what we see in them and naming it for them. I think it's really powerful. I think that's very powerful because I can think of instances and in, in, in one, one activity that I like to do when, when I talk with staff is to ask the question, uh, who motivated you? Who inspired you? You know, you're very successful in your career right now. How did you get here? And what specifically did they say to you? And what you will find is that there were key influential people. Usually it's mom, dad, grandparent, coach, educator, clergy person, community member, someone motivated them, inspired them, and they saw something in themselves, uh, uh, they saw something in them that they did not even see within themselves. And that was a great motivator for them because at that point in time, they didn't have the self-awareness or confidence in themselves, but by that caring, committed relationship really spurred them on to success. So similar, that example you gave was a great example of being vis uh, uh, seen, being heard, being visible in your superintendent, I think that's the power we have as educators to really let students know that I see you, I value you in all aspects of your identity, and I see your potential, I see where you are, but my goodness, I can see where you can go if you continue to work hard and put forth your best effort. Yeah, I... Um... I feel like this is Kathy. It's such a privilege for Kathy and I to be learning from you about this, Tony. And um, as I mentioned at the beginning, for those who are listening, this is a part, first part of a three-part podcast that we're doing, all centering with Dr. Hill on the idea of how we can, uh, in schools, lead 
the idea of responding to the needs of the pandemic that has been demonstrated so clearly in terms of the impact on the social emotional well-being of kids but also of staff members and thinking about promoting belonging and equity through school and district leadership. So I just want to say um, thank you so much to you, Kathy, as always, and to you, Tony, for uh, taking your time to speak with us today. And I also want to urge those who are listening to please connect with us at Focus Schools by going to www.focusschools.com. And you can find our social media pages there. We'd love to get a chance to have some two-way communication with you about the work that you're doing in your schools, but also have you learn from all the work that we see every day. We have such a privilege to be in schools who are doing the hard work that you are. So we hope you'll like and follow and you'll join us there. And we look forward to the next time you can connect on our podcast. Thank you for listening.